Okay, so earlier in the week, I sent some questions over to uh, Mobile, Alabama resident and singer-songwriter Lisa Mills. And uh, she's in a hotel room somewhere in West Manhattan. And these are the answers to my questions. Lisa, welcome to the Roots Rock Riot Show. Thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Okay. When did you first start uh, singing and playing the guitar? Um, I started singing before I played guitar. Uh, I guess I've been doing that as long as I could talk. And I used to sing for the other kids on the playground in school. Make up songs for everybody. Uh, of course, I sang in church and sang for the family. Didn't pick up the guitar till I was in my teens. Um, my stepsister got guitar lessons at school and I used to follow her around and read her notes and I taught myself how to play. So that's how it all began. All right. And when do you think you discovered that you had that voice? You've got a you know, wonderful voice. I don't know what age I was when I recognized I had a special gift with my voice. Um, I've just always done it and it seems to have happened without my realizing it, kind of like a child growing up in front of your very eyes. Um, there is no particular age that I realized that I had that gift. I've just always done it. Okay. Who would you say were your earliest musical influences? And then going on from that, what would be your later influences? Uh, early on musically, of course, was uh, my dad playing and singing Hank Williams and Johnny Cash and things like that. Leuven Brothers music and old uh, gospel tunes and church music but then um, my mom's collection of Elvis Presley and Brenda Lee album I listened to over and over again those were the earliest influences and then later on when the uh, Blues Brothers movie came out it introduced me a little bit into the blues or soul world by way of uh, you know people like Aretha Franklin and then uh, on the radio I heard Songs like Misty Blue by Dorothy Moore, Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye, Midnight Train to Georgia, uh, Gladys Knight, those kind of songs. And I remember feeling a kinship for that music, not really recognizing um, it as soul music per se or understanding where it came from. So that was the next step in my influences. And then um, probably about 20 years or so ago, I heard Etta James on the radio and went and bought uh, her album, Seven Year Itch. That was my introduction to her music. And that's been a tremendous, tremendous influence on me. And then along the way, I started listening to people like Billie Holiday, Nina Simone, Sarah Vaughn. I don't know how much they've affected the way I sing, but I really enjoy listening to them. And I love singers that have what we call a black gospel kind of voice, like Ray Charles, B.B. Um, King, um, Mavis Staples, that kind of stuff. Anyway, so, um, yeah, that's that's how it's kind of come along that way. I guess you could say from a country roots, um, Southern Baptist thing into uh, an exposure to blues through pop culture, and then later on my discovery of uh, Etta James, who channeled all sorts of music, but kept it all together. You know, she bound it all together with her voice. Her voice glued different types of music together. I don't know if that sounds right, but... Uh... Okay, now, 
the the women that you uh, you mention and your influences there, they're all very strong voices and independent sort of women. Do you think that has has influenced you as well? You know, the, the way that they are as women, sort of thing. You know, I've never thought about that before, but um, that could be true. It could be really true, and I think the reason why is because singing is a is a way of communicating things that you might not be able to say otherwise or expressing certain feelings you might not be able to say otherwise and being brought up a southern woman from a poor family and and um you know being somewhat shy i think i must be attracted to that idea of of an assertiveness in a woman and a strength and um, yeah, I, I believe that's probably true. Okay, good. Now, when was the first time that you actually came over to the UK? You've been here a few times now, obviously. Uh, it's almost your second home. Gosh, the first time I performed in the UK was with Big Brother and the Holding Company. Um, and I remember staying in some hostel in London. Gosh, I, I can't remember the specific gig that I first did. I, I do recall that we played... Oh my God, what is that town where everything looks the same? Milton Keynes. I remember playing Milton Keynes and uh, we were at the stables and I, I had gotten laryngitis and had to sing those songs. You know, a lot of them Janis Joplin songs from Cheap Thrills and what have you. Had to sing that music through laryngitis. Oh my God, it was excruciatingly painful. <laughs> but... Um, you know, fortunately, we had a few days off after that, and it was my first uh, exposure to socialized medicine, which was a nice treat. You know, I got taken care of right away the next day, and we were in a really nice place and could hang out. But I was so lonely, hanging out in my hotel room with nobody to talk to. But then, one of the last gigs I did with Big Brother in the UK was in Briarly Hill at the original Robin, which is the old rock and roll club. And that is where uh, Robert Plant came to see the show, and I met his sound engineer, Roy, and we became friends. And then I started coming over on my own, so that was really pivotal. And what is it that you like about the UK so much? Mm. Well, in the beginning, I hated Indian food. And nowadays, that is actually something I kind of look forward to when I go over there. I love... I love the history of the place, the architecture, um, good fish and chips, of course. Um, and I like the fact that a lot of little villages and places that I go to, uh, you know, are easily maneuverable by foot, you know, on foot, because cause your country was, was um, very well established before the advent of the automobile. So it's much more scenic in most cases. And uh, it, it, it took me a while to realize how small the country is. And then when I think of it that way, I look at it like a boutique store because there's a whole lot of high-quality things in this very small little space. And I love the rolling green hills and the little thatched cottages. And the, I don't know, there's a lot to love about England. And mostly I love the people that I know there and that I've met. And um, I guess not just England. I mean, you did say the UK. And, of course, Wales is very close to my heart. I have some very good friends who live out there. 
And Scotland, I've got, I've got to go to Scotland. I've been to Scotland a couple times, and it's quite beautiful. Um, there's a lot to love. I hope I covered enough of it to give you an idea. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Now, let's talk about Ian Jennings, you're the upright bass player that you're often seen playing with over here. How did you first meet? Ian Jennings, boy. We just realized this year that he and I have been playing together, knowing each other for 10 years, incredibly enough. And the first time I met him was when I came to London uh, to Sweet Georgia Brown's, I, I don't know if that's the name, is it Sweet Georgia Brown Studios? I think so. In London, that's where I first met him when I, I sang three tracks on his album for the band, his band, the Big Town Playboys. Uh, I guess our mutual friend, Roy, um, set this up. He told Ian about me, and it just so happened that that while Ian was recording this album, the singer he had gotten originally to do those three songs, it didn't work out, and they were he was looking for someone else, and Roy suggested me, and then arranged for me to come over. So when I went in the studio, these tracks were already laid down in a key for someone else, in someone else's key. And I honestly, two of the songs I had never even heard before. One of them was a Charlie Rich, and the other one, I can't remember. Oh, I think it was a Ruth Brown song. And then the other one was a Billie Holiday. And uh, immediately on the one, the one tune that, that I did that was a Billie Holiday song, um, it's called Comes Love. It required just the double bass, which is Ian's instrument, and my voice, and that was just absolutely magical. It's funny because I don't remember. I think he had already laid the track down when I got there, but just just to sing along with nothing but his bass was really magical. And then after that, you know, uh, I started coming back doing more gigs, and at first we did some band things with a female singer, absolutely fantastic, um, Mo Birch, now Mo Stanway, who used to sing with Go West and did work with Tina Turner and uh, Boy George and what have you, I mean, and uh, UB40 and everything. Uh, she did some singing with the group. And um, Robbie Blunt, who you may have known for, now there was a band he was in, I hope I remember it, Bronco. He was with the band that every, I don't, I didn't know anything about him, but a lot of people do recognize this band called Bronco that Robbie Blunt used to play in. And then, you know, later on, he was, uh, he was working with Robert Plant during Robert's, uh, I think, uh, first solo efforts after Zeppelin. In fact, Robbie co-wrote the song Big Log. So it was Robbie, uh, Mo, and then, of course, there's Ian on the bass, and then uh, Clive Deemer, who uh, at the time was playing with Robert's band Strange Sensation. And, of course, he was with, or still is with, uh, I'm pretty sure this band called Portishead, which I didn't know anything about, but I've heard a lot about since then. And uh, we, the first gig we ever played together officially as a group was in Norway at the Old Blues Festival. Anyway, so we did some, some gigs with that group uh, here and there. And then ultimately, it just started being, over the years, Ian and I uh, started doing duo work together. And it's, it's more than just the music. It's, uh, it's almost a, sometimes a comedy routine. I, I, uh, I compare it to like a, like a Lucy and Desi kind of thing on the Lucy show. But we have a lot of fun. He's a great guy and a good friend. Uh, so I hope that answers the questions about question about how I got together with Ian. 
So there we go. And I'll be playing with Anne real soon. Coming up in November, we're doing uh, several dates together, including the Carlisle Blues Festival. Okay, so what can people expect when they see you at the Carlisle Blues Festival then? <laughs> I guess the true answer to that is you don't really know what to expect because no matter how you plan or think you have everything, you can't control all the elements in a live performance, and that's what makes it so exciting. You don't know. You just don't know what it's going to be like as far as the audience, the stage, the sound, and it all works together to create that unique experience and performance. But I guess the one thing you could really expect is that Ian and I are going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> Excellent. Now, uh, you're touring the U.S. at the minute. Do you do that a lot when you're... When I'm home, I do a lot of local shows. It's, it's my, I guess you call it meat and potatoes. And then I, I make little forays out into different parts of the U.S. to do uh, various shows. And right now, I just recently booked some more shows up in New England, which is really fun. And um, although I had some shows booked in Austin, Texas... Just recently, I had to cancel because of uh, family illness. And um, I will be putting together some stuff for that pretty soon. Um, and I've been up in Manhattan doing a couple of shows recently and hoping to expand in that area. Um, did some blues festivals, you know, one of them in, in Florida, Jacksonville Beach. A few things here and there. But, uh, yeah, that's what's going on in the U.S. All right. Now... When you were over here again uh, earlier in the year, I saw you at the Clooney in Newcastle, and you opened the set with uh, a song by David Grissom called Good Day for the Blues. Are you familiar with David's work, and do, do you play any of his other songs in your set? You know, I, I didn't even realise, uh, forgive me, but I didn't realise it was a David Grissom song. I, I, I learned it because of a trio I used to play in in Mobile. They're the ones who, who introduced me to that song, specifically the keyboard player Phyllis. And um, I just knew it as a Storyville song. Storyville, I guess, being the band that David Grissom either is in or it's his band. Um, so that that is the only David Grissom song I know at the moment. But now that you ask me, I think I need to look him up and see what else I might be able to find because I do love that song. It's really special. Thanks for asking. It is a great song. Um, now, let's talk about your album, Tempered in Fire. What was the impetus to get that recorded, and how did you go about recording it? It all started because of a breakup. Isn't that the way all good songs <laughs> things start, is through a breakup? Anyway, my best friend back in Mobile, uh, Cindy, she knew I was really down and out, and she goes, you know... You just need to get out of here. You need to go somewhere and record a new album. So um, she put money on her credit card, and I started talking to Ian about the project, and he hooked me up with the studio over in Kent, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm, it's all coming together, and I'm, I'm gathering songs from uh, several songwriters that I know. Um, one friend of mine in Macclesfield, George Borofsky, contributed three songs, a friend of mine who lives in Belgium, originally from Alabama, she contributed a song, B.J. Scott. And then I took a couple of Wet Willie tunes and uh, put those on there. I think that covers it. And then another friend of mine who co-wrote one of the songs with me, he lives down in Perdido Key. Um, that would be Bucky Lindsay. So that's, that's how it literally started. And then... Um, 
as the plans were being made, and I was thinking about who, originally I was going to use this percussionist from Sardinia, actually, and um, it didn't work out. In the meantime, I ended up doing a gig in Mobile at this blues and barbecue place uh, with a fellow singer-songwriter out of New Orleans, and he brought his drummer friend with him, and it just was fantastic. So that night I said, would you... I asked the drummer, would you would you be willing to come record on my album? And he was really enthusiastic about it. So I got the drummer. And then when Ian and I were talking about a guitarist, he said, well, why not Andy Fair with a low? And I went, come on, you got to be kidding. He, he wouldn't do that. And Ian said, I think he would. So uh, fortunately for me, uh, Andy was available and willing. And um, we got it all together and... and um, went over there initially and rented this big Oast house outside of Kent and and uh, the New Orleans drummer flew over in the middle of this horrendous snowstorm and had to be rerouted from Heathrow to Gatwick and then thank God um, Andy made it in time. Anyway, I'm rambling, but yeah, so that's how it all came about and uh, it was a, an incredible experience uh, recording that album and um, good memories. Um, we, we tried our best to record most everything as live as possible, and we used mostly analog equipment. And um, I'm real proud of how it turned out, and it's still still got a long, long life. It's still getting attention and reviews here and there. Um, so that's really how I went about recording Tempered and Fire. But there was one more thing I wanted to say, that at, 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 at some point during the recording of the album, uh, the expenses started adding up, and I didn't have enough money and several friends came through and contributed more money but then when I finally finished recording it and I needed more money to really finish manufacturing and mastering and everything uh, I reached out to my fan base and I and 51 of my fans came on board as official sponsors of the album and uh, helped me finish it it was just incredible so that's the Tempered and Fire story Excellent and a great story it is too Lisa Okay let's round off with the age-old question, what next for Lisa Mills? What's next for Lisa Mills? Well, when my wheels stop spinning and I touch ground again and I can get my act together, I want to start getting uh, everything sorted out to do this gospel album I have in my mind and my heart. It's uh, The idea is based around the the hymnal from my family church that belonged to my great-grandmother who played piano in the church. And fact, her, in fact, her family and her brother in particular actually built the church that we went to. And my mom, as a young girl, was the water girl, and she'd been telling me about that. It's just a matter of finding the time right now and the funding. Um, I definitely want to do all the songs, all song, you know, not all the songs from the hymnal, but the songs I choose to do will all come from the hymnal. I've already done... Um, I've already gone through and picked out my favorites, and I've spoken to my good friend Earl Pooball in Austin, Texas, about helping me out with this project as a, a piano player and a producer. Uh, Earl um, used to play with Johnny Cash for many, many years and is, is highly respected and well-known in the music world, and it's just one of my dear, dear friends. And so we're, we're looking at maybe recording it in Austin. Anyway... It's uh, right at the moment. I'm, uh, I've been running around a lot, and I'm going to be over in Italy in just a few weeks, and then uh, maybe when I get back, I can 
I can start focusing on this more. So I guess that's uh, those two things. What I just mentioned are what's next for me. Excellent. Lisa, thanks so much for taking the time to answer the questions that we put to you. And uh, here's a track from your new album, Tempered in Fire. 